an aging gambler on a losing streak who lives with her longtime boyfriend Francis changes the course of history in 1800s England. Somebody write this. And welcome to Somebody Write This, where we use a random plot generator to give us an idea, and then we brainstorm how that could be a thing somebody might want to write. I'm Hannah. And I'm Jenny. And to help us with our brainstorming today, we have a guest. Let's welcome Connor Adamson. Hello. Howdy. Hey. It's good to have you on the podcast. We have been, we're friends through a long-running Facebook movie group. But one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about today is that the the friends from that movie group sort of spun off into a music related group. And you are one of the most, the, the loudest and passionate advocate in that group for country music, <laughs> which is Ooh. very much known for its, for its storytelling. So I would love to hear, let's just, yeah, let's start, start off with that kind of open-ended, <laughs> that open-ended idea, country music as storytelling. Give us, give us a beginning of a thought on that. And then maybe we'll delve more into, it's such a broad topic, but we'll delve into do it more as we as we go. <laughs> Certainly. It's definitely an appropriate descriptor, although uh, the commercial country in the past 15 to 20 years might lead you otherwise, mm. but it has a very long, robust history as a storytelling medium. I forget whom it was, but one of the quips about country music that uh, was made is that it's three chords in the truth. <laughs> mm. Nice. Which... And I think is, while it is indeed a quip, it is like a very representative statement because although I think this is not necessarily a fair reputation for it. Oversimplified. Right. Mm -hmm. It is usually very sonically simple. There's obviously many, many great musical players in country, but classically the focus is on the lyrics and on telling stories and, uh, it, it speaks, you know, to the working class people of, of rural America. That is, you know, where many people classically think of it. But within that tent of, of talking to the struggles of a working person, there is a lots of different forms of storytelling that have popped up under the tent of country from, you know, Western style cowboy stories that were made popular by Marty Robbins mm-hmm. to Dolly Parton's unique sort of story vintage from her youth in Tennessee. The storytelling of country is used to talk about love and work and to protest and to just speak to all sorts of very fundamental human emotions and conditions. And when it at its, at, it's at its peak, that's uh, really the where country music shines is whereas a lot of other songwriting, you know, can can go you just this kind of typical verse first chorus, verse first chorus structure. Country mm-hmm. can really work in any type of song structure due to that focus on storytelling lyrics. Mm, nice. I'm curious you you mentioned a little bit about this being something that they're that they've trended that the country scene has maybe trended away from as much in recent years. So uh, this is maybe kind of a two part question. So first of all, what do you you talked a little bit about the simplicity of the music? Are there other things that you think make country an ideal fit for storytelling as a as a as a format? And then maybe why do you think that's that's changing? Or how do you see that changing? What does that change about the music when the storytelling disappears or changes? Great question. So to answer the first part, yes, I think that the, the simpler music does aid it as it becomes more of a, 
a tool to to tell the story of a song. You know, that said, I still think there's like plenty of great country music instrumentalists and guitar players that that's really an underrated aspect of, of country music is people don't always give credit where credit's due on that end of things. Mm-hmm. But in addition to this sort of acoustic, typically speaking style, I think it's also that the experiences of either the writers or the singers lend themselves towards this storytelling aspect. When it's at its strongest, you have writers talking about their life experiences. Dolly Parton and Loretta Lynn, great examples. They lived many of the songs they wrote about. That's why you you listen to Code of Many Colors or I Will Always Love You. And, you know, those are songs very personal to her. And, And I've always said that music is at its strongest when it has a very strong specificity. You know, mm-hmm. when you write too broadly with your lyrics in an attempt to, quote, connect more, you end up losing that specificity that actually allows people to connect to the music. And so uh, I think that that's a key aspect of all country writing, even when the stories aren't something specific to the singer's life. For instance, you know, you look at George Strait. He's, a, of course, one of the most prolific country artists and recording artists and history and he rarely wrote his own songs but he still brought those to life and uh so he had his own life experiences that he could draw on to find the emotion in the song it's almost like akin to acting in a a sense Mm -hmm. and uh you know of course in acting you see that divide between the method or you know what acting coaches who who differ on whether or not you should be creating emotions anew or Mm-hmm. basing it on your a life experience and likewise for singers i think that very same mindset works its way in and then thirdly i think what makes country such a great storytelling genre is the kind of diversity of musical style as well mm-hmm. simplicity is certainly part of it but under the tint of country you get folkier type stuff that is very acoustic and is much more rooted in like the the roots music that country originally evolved from you get, you know, called outlaw country or, or country that has that harder rocking sound. And that allows different types of stories to be told. You know, you can talk about the poverty mm-hmm. of a working person with that folkier sound, but then when you get that rockier sound, it lends itself better to the story of a, a man who's, uh, you know, been drunk four days in a row and, and reflecting on mm-hmm. his failures <laughs> and wishing he could escape his cycle of, mm-hmm. of, addiction but can't and winds up you know doing the same habits again and so i think it's that diversity of of different music styles that allows these different types of stories to get told awesome well connor that was a really fascinating conversation <laughs> thank that you was. for for sharing your thoughts on us with that i don't think we've we haven't discussed that kind of thing with anybody else yet so that was wonderful so with that being said let's jump into our brainstorming which is not a a country western story but it is in the past so as a reminder our synopsis is an aging gambler on a losing streak who lives with her longtime boyfriend, Francis, changes the course of history in 1800s England. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of loving this character already. (laughs) This female aging gambler in 1800s England. So like, it's not even Old West, you know, it's, Uh, it's the same time as Old West, but it's in England. And you got this old lady gambler. <laughs> living with her boyfriend. Like, like well, yeah, living with her boyfriend. So living in sin or what, you know. And 
like you get this is just a cool old lady who doesn't care what anybody <laughs> thinks. You know, like, like, like I think she wears pants. <laughs> she, you know, like she might, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and it's interesting because in, she's going to change the course in 1800s England. That's when uh, I think the Church of England was embracing a new sort of con- conservatism for and more moral standards. The Methodist Church in England in the Victorian mm-hmm. era was kind of embracing this renewed mm-hmm. social conservatism. So this was this would definitely be a against the the grain woman. Yes, <laughs> exactly. What oh, what is that reference? Help me, Hannah. Uh, but some, somebody talking about Victorian morality. Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. It does oh. not sound familiar to me. Dang it. But it okay. is. I did anyway. go and look. I was uh, and yeah, Queen Victoria was was reigning from 1837 onward <laughs> for the rest of the of the century, and so so yeah, and really did bring kind of back these these much stricter <laughs> sense of morals, which I think this woman does not meet. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I'm curious about all of this. So obviously, the big big question that we'll need to figure out at some point is how does she change the course of history. Where was history going? Where was history going that she changed it before she changed it? <laughs> and is this is this kind of like a uh, like a, a speculative past? <laughs> is this mm. is this changing the course of history to what we know it now, or is it changing the course of history away from what we know it was into some some alternate possible present? Interesting question. Those are both interesting ideas to tease out. Hmm. And I guess it depends on how, yeah, how we want to change the course of history. Like whether it means she ends up inventing something (laughs) that is an everyday thing now or popularizing something. And the losing streak is interesting that we, we meet her on a, we meet her um, in a, at a low point. Yeah. And so whatever she's doing, maybe she, maybe she gambles on something really big that seems really really out there <laughs> that yeah, doesn't maybe, maybe we need to get in the details to build this yeah so first off like what kind of gambling you know is it poker is it horses is it dog fights we could be you very know, what... creative with the the term gambler too and make well, it almost true. like a business investor in a sense yeah okay that's what i was I wondering is if she's yeah investing her money in yeah in yeah. in sort of in sort of a risky <laughs> careless way just risky like, speculations yeah and and also, who's Francis? What's he about? Is he what's a gambler their, too? Is he against her gambling because she's losing their, their money? Yeah, what's the relationship like? Hmm. How how old is he? May, oh, that's it's, I mean, it, he's they've been together for a little while, so he can't be like right. young, young. But no. But I yeah, wonder so if he's aging. Aging gambler could also mean like as young as forty. Yeah, that's true. So we got some flexibility here. I'm getting like a, a Jenna Rollins, John Cassavetes vibe off of these two. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I I really my heart wants Francis to be involved in this, in 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 the gambling in some way. Whether yeah. that's he is actively trying to get her to stop and then she gambles one last thing and changes the course of history, or he brings this one last thing to her. I don't think it's his day job, though. No. To, I think he does yeah. something else. I agree. I get the sense he definitely would do. He has a career. Something, yeah, something boring something, and very British. But something that you know. won't be that won't be tarnished by him living unmarried with, a, an, old, with an aging gambler. Mm-hmm. He could be like a 
like a railroad entrepreneur or something. Right. Maybe this becomes a thing, though. Maybe this becomes part of the of the of the conflict. There is that as is maybe he ends up like going up in the world enough that he feels like he has to break things off with her, which kind of pushes her toward something, adding low point on top on top of low point. That would just pile on top of the losing streak. Oh, Does, does Francis know about the losing streak? Like he might know about the gambling, but oh, does he? Man. Is she hiding the fact yes. that she's losing, and is she spending his money? So maybe she started wealthy, and There's then so many complications to lost this. a lot of her money. Maybe maybe she was you know inherited money from her parents, and then uh, and then lost it gambling <laughs> in in these risky businesses. Or maybe mm-hmm. she's one of those people who just like every every new thing that comes along, she's like, this is going to be the next big thing. <laughs> And so she keeps in she keeps investing in these things that turn out to be terrible and just completely flat. Right, yeah. And, and so and, she and she, was, she has now used up most of her money yeah. and is moving on to Francis's. <laughs> with the with the something with hopefully maybe good intentions. I don't know, maybe she's not. <laughs> maybe she is kind oh, of no. a, a, a a a a con artist a little bit, but but maybe she's just like, "No, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to make it big for us." No. I think she just likes him. That is a question. I mean, if, if she's he, born maybe, with money, maybe he got with her for the, money. for the money. Like maybe she invested in his business, you know, and it's the only one that's right. doing well. And, 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 so and I she feel keeps like taking from it to well, finance her other stuff. Well, the the Vic, hmm. I was going to say the Victorian era is is a, an era where there's like a lot I, of, of feel, science, right? It's like I think the Industrial Revolution's like, going around yeah. the same time. So maybe she's. She's blown all this money away on a bunch of, of speculative science that, that, yeah. that it doesn't turn out to work out well. And so Francis is getting tired of her doing so. And but then maybe the what strikes the plot proper is she she get discovers a very important science thing. I don't know what what exactly yeah. it would be, but something that actually is a winner and no one else is believing in it but her. What if she, yeah, I love this idea of her investing in speculative science. Oh. <laughs> and what if she, in kind of a last ditch effort to to keep Francis, to repay him the yes. amount that she has borrowed from him, she takes things into her own hands and decide, does like a, like a Frankenstein thing <laughs> where she decides to not just, Ooh. not just pay somebody else to do the science, but like, I'm going to investigate this myself. I'm, I think they're <laughs> wasting my money. They're not spending oh. it wisely. I've thrown this away too many times. I'm going to pay for myself to be able to do this. And so she does this series of experiments or something, um, maybe with one other person who, and is like, well, I don't want to get, just give you the money. I want to be here with you, doing it with you to make it happen because this has to work out. I cannot waste, I cannot spend, I, I cannot risk passing my money away for somebody else to just take it for themselves and run. Yeah. This. This is very, very interesting because this is the era of like Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and all of those delightful horror classics. Right? Yeah. Are we are we inadvertently creating a, a Mary Shelley biopic? <laughs> Maybe this is Mary Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> she would be the kind to live with a boyfriend, wouldn't she? Yeah, but like, I mean, yeah, it really, it, it could be something very much around that, kind of playing off the the sort of goth science yeah. yeah do we want to go goth science fiction with this do we want to go horror haunting with this or do we want to keep it strictly realistic I, 
I I like the idea of since we have to, since we have, she has to change the course of history. And I don't know that we have time in 20 minutes to research (laughs) what realistically that could be. So I am okay (laughs) with with leaning into, uh, into speculative fiction, (laughs) guessing what, what could have been. Um, And so maybe, maybe she has not just been like maybe she's been also heavily involved with uh, with some of these writers, actually. Maybe 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 you know looking at things like Jekyll and Hyde or or uh, Frankenstein and investing in people claiming to do similar things. Mm. I would have to look up when exactly that was and if that made sense chronolo- chronologically. But like, but I love the idea of her being of her. Yeah, trying to trying to do something. Maybe you know whether she's now, doing experiments she have- on herself now or something. Does <laughs> beyond curiosity does she have a reason to want this science to work i mean she's got the financial incentive now i don't know why she's been investing in it so long but at this point it's that she she really needs this particular idea to work out because it's the only idea she has left for getting that money back hmm perhaps she's uh, she's grown up with these expectations for herself as a woman in the 1800s and a desire to, to prove herself beyond those expectations. But her series of failures has, has nearly crushed all the hope out of her. So not only is this a, a last financial gambit, but it's a, it's a last personal gambit as well to, to prove that she is the, the woman she knows she can be. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, I mean, and if she's, on the verge of losing her relationship as well. Like there are so many reasons that she has for her, for herself personally, for herself relationally, for herself financially to make this work. And especially if there's, if there's a deadline on it, (laughs) if it's like, we need this money by, you know, the end of the year or something. So I guess actually let's, let's pause there because we've, we've slowed down a little bit. Let me get us a title. Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh no. I love when she says, oh my goodness, before she actually tells us what it is. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all right. I'll say it out loud and I'll put it in the chat as well so you can read it. Our title okay. is, If Homer Gets Back to New York. Oh. <laughs> so Francis Homer is her boyfriend. <laughs> is this, He's an American. Is he an American? Is there a teleportation aspect to what she's exploring? Oh. Or... Or is she investing Ooh. in like in, in like really fast travel? Very H.G. Wells. I like it. Did she invest in? Did she invest in uh, scientific things that were supposed to make the Titanic really fast and able to go really well, and it just, she lost all of it? Mm. But like, I, yeah, I think she's investing in travel somehow. Yes, and trying yes. to get Homer back to New York. <laughs> Ooh, why does he need to get back to New York? And why? Yeah. Why can't he just go normally? (laughs) (laughs) Or is there something in New York that, that will launch this? Does the, does the stuff that she's working on have a component that can only be completed in New York for some reason? Hmm. Or if they're, I'm, 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 the gets back to New York. Did, what if Homer is, Oh, oh, okay. I have something formulating. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Just the name, the name Homer, like I'm thinking like a homing pigeon. Right. So what if Homer is the thing or the technology or the vehicle or whatever that left New York 
and either it was coming to her that was part of it, but she like she has to fix it or something, or what if it accidentally traveled to her and she's trying to figure it out and replicate the technology? That's that's kind of rhyming. I love the idea of of Homer being the the nickname that they give to this item, this creature, <laughs> as being a, a homing pigeon. Yeah, yeah, it could and they be just like start a, Homer, an auto Martin robot that is beyond what science should support, almost like a steampunky thing. Yeah. yeah. Or like, yeah, or, or, and if it like shows, maybe it shows up in this, maybe this person comes to her knowing that she invests in science and says, so this thing showed up in my living room. <laughs> and, Do you know anybody and, who knows what it is? And somehow figures out maybe, maybe it comes like with a note being like, if I just showed up in your living room, it's because I'm doing an, an, a, an experiment from New York. <laughs> and so like, they're trying to figure out how to replicate the technology and get him back to New York. See, see, well, but I'm also wondering with the if Homer gets back to New York, how does that sentence end? Because it could be a bad thing. Yeah. Is she trying to figure out how to keep Homer from getting back to New York? Yeah, the if is very wide open. Mm-hmm. And I first yeah. I first read it as as an optimistic thing, being like, right. if Homer gets back to New York, then all my problems are solved. But it right. could also be if Homer gets back to New York, the, the world, world will, will explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So there's, there's, I think that, I think that being the title means that there's an inherent sense of, of unknown. Yes. <laughs> that, that working towards something because she has to make this work because she has to make the, the science of this work in some way. And, and, and because of all her financial, her failed gambles, like maybe people she would go to for this sort of problem don't want to talk to her anymore. Yeah. You know, like you told me to invest in this and well, maybe it's almost, <laughs> so what if it shows up and it is from somebody in New York who's doing some weird teleportation experiments and has maybe, and has figured it out and has sent like hundreds of these out Ooh. all with instructions on what they did to be Ooh. like, get this back to me. Uh-huh. And what if it's like almost, <laughs> almost like those um, Nigerian prince scam things where it's like, <laughs> if you get this back to me, you'll get a percent of this. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe real because it teleports. And so maybe Ugh. she's like, maybe it not only is, she's not only investing in the technology, but saying if if Homer gets back to New York, I will, I'll be confirming that this theory works. I'll be confirming for this person that it's accurate and I can oh. piggyback off of that and they'll give me something right away. And then I'll have invested in this big thing that clearly is really, really important. I mean, and maybe this happens, like, honestly, the only other thing that I can think of in the, in, in, not the only other thing, but. <laughs> Since I said it, the Titanic is still like revolving in my head. That's true. So maybe it, true. maybe it is like looking at safe transportation. If we can say, you know, this is a big thing. If we can make this happen, there's a market for this, and we can we can become incredibly rich off of this again. I like this idea because it, it almost like introduces a little more complicated of a, a, a moral character to this woman. You know, yeah. What she's mm-hmm. doing is very noble and good for the world, but she's also like doing it out of a sense of of greed and profit for herself. So it's. Sort of yeah. this blended motivation that I think would make her an interesting protagonist. Yeah, yeah definitely. And you could definitely play with, like, I like the idea that this has been brought to her by somebody else. And so there's always a little bit of a question in the back of the audience's mind of, is this guy just scamming her? Like, is oh, she. Oh, yeah, because because maybe it didn't just show up in their living room. And yeah. And so maybe he's asking for like, old lady. money for equipment to do stuff. And, and maybe he's asking for more than it actually costs. And so there's always a little bit of a question of, is she just going to get going to get taken advantage of again and lose everything? Oh, I like it. I like Me it too. Too. This is this is really fascinating. All right, so we are close to the end. We're winding down. Is there anything in this story that we have not 
that we that we want to make sure we touch on that we haven't yet? I we're relieving it with so many open ended questions. We are. There's. Francis so has become less important, so maybe he becomes Francis. more of a... I like Francis. I like Francis. <laughs> he just doesn't seem to have anything to do with the main plot. He's just her motivation, I guess. So he's still there. I just didn't know if he needed to be more important. Right. Well, her, her emotional support. Her. If I, we brought back the suggestion I made of him being a railroad tycoon, which is also a form oh, of transportation. Oh, he's into transportation. That's right. But he's yeah. looking at her attempts at this new form. Is like, what are you doing? Well, we haven't given her a name, but... Whatever you're doing, long Age time gambler. girlfriend. Aged gambler. <laughs> Don't you know railroad is the way? So in a sense, he could be an obstacle for her, but they have this romantic- yeah, He's very commi- much a traditional- Well, I wouldn't say traditionalist. He's living with his girlfriend. But yeah. Well, but perhaps he, but he puts on this face yeah. of traditionalism. And so mm. he, that's his conflict is he he wants to, to live up to the expectations of Victorian England, but he, well, he loves true. his aged gambler. Yeah. To, that's well. That's what I was saying. Like she's a really interesting person, and he's yeah. a stick in the mud. And so I think that's why he's attracted to her. Like she just makes life exciting. So she's my exception. And it might be, a, and it might be getting to the point where she is making life scarier than exciting. <laughs> right? Yeah. Francis jeopardizing has his work. And <laughs> I I really love this. This is completely. This is completely not the direction I thought this was going to go, and I love it so much. <laughs> All right, listeners, you know what to do. We're going to toss this out to you. We would love to hear your ideas, where you thought this was going to go, where you would love to see this go in the future. Tell us a little bit, give our agent gambler a name. <laughs> tell us what's going on. With, how did how did she and Francis get involved to begin with? And uh, and tell us, what, love story. tell us what Homer is and, uh, and who's sending him from New York. So we'll give all our info uh, at the end of the show. So make sure and send us your thoughts on this. I w- we would love to be able to hear them and to share them on a future episode. But for now, we're going to go ahead and jump into our recommendations section. I'm going to this week recommend a movie that I just saw recently, which is very much in the in the slightly silly, fantastical vein. I saw Werewolves Within, which is a horror comedy starring Sam Richardson, who I knew mostly from Veep, but is in a lot of stuff, a lot of random stuff. And uh, it's a small town where the townspeople are being pressured to sell their land to make way for a pipeline coming through. And then things start disappearing and animals Mm. start disappearing and people suspect that there's a werewolf around. And so there, it becomes sort of this tense story of, of these people uh, who are already kind of feeling like their neighbors are against them in this feud, kind of then figuring out are my neighbors actually is one of them, a werewolf trying to kill me, but it's very, it's very silly as well. It's very comedic. It's very fun. It is a, a really enjoyable ride and I thoroughly loved it. So I would highly recommend that it came out this year. It's a lot of fun. All right, Jenny, I'm going to toss it to you. What story would you like to recommend to our listeners this week? All right. I have just discovered a new Hulu original, which is called only murders in the building. The reason I started watching it, Besides the title, which is obviously intriguing, yeah. but it's starring Steve Martin and Martin Short, classic hmm. comedy combo from Days of Yore. They both live in this uh, apartment building in New York, anyway, and they're both true crime aficionados in in their spare time. And there's a third gal in the building, and she's a young adult early mid twenties maybe. And she's also, and they all find out that they listen to the same podcast talking about true crime cases. Well, that night they find out that there is 
there was a murder in their own building. And so they start getting together to put the clues together. And what's hilarious and really well balanced for the show is that each of them also, we learn about their backgrounds. The Martin Short character is a a struggling play director in New York. Uh, the Steve Martin character used to be famous for playing a detective on TV. And Mabel, we don't know much about her yet. I've only seen the first episode, but it is it is funny. It is intriguing. It looks very, very smart. And I look forward to watching more episodes. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Connor, you get a recommendation as well. What's a story of some, fo- some form, some shape that you think our listeners should check out? I just watched a few days ago the 1990 Chinese melodrama Ju Dao, which was quite excellent. Uh, it was directed by, I might get the pronunciation wrong here, Zhang Yimo. It's set in early 1900s China, and it's about a woman who is purchased as a bride for this uh, quite cruel dye mill owner. And uh, he's very abusive, and we learned that he, very early on, that he basically uh, killed his two prior purchase brides. And um, however, she falls in love with the nephew of the mill owner who falls in love with her as well. <gasps> Drama! And uh, oh. they soon enough conceive a son. And so now they have to decide what they're going to do, given that uh, she is the bride of another, of a, wow. of a cruel person. And I won't give away too much more, but it's, uh, it plays out in a, a big melodrama fashion. And uh, melodrama, you know, is often used maybe derogatorily, but I actually quite love really well done melodramas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. specifically Eastern ones. I've really come to like Eastern melodramas. And I think there's a link there to anime and it's big emotional yeah. storytelling. Nice. It's also a movie that was filmed in Technicolor because when the Technicolor film was getting destroyed as it had gone out of fashion or sent away, the I think I read this, the last bit of Technicolor film got sent to China. And so they uh, they filmed it in Technicolor. And so it gives us this real, you know, any of you have seen a Technicolor movie, they're very bright and colorful. And so it, it gives this melodrama, this bright, colorful look. As it becomes quite tragic, however, it was very really well done storytelling and uh, great acting. And then, it, you know, it was a commentary on, on social mores. It actually got banned in China in 1991. It got released because it was seen as a, a commentary on the government at the time, even though it was set decades prior. Ooh. So very, very well done. And I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. All right, before we go, Connor, is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners for yourself? Any writing or projects or social media that you want to toss out there? I'll just mainly point to I'm a, uh, a writer at the Flickchart blog. I publish new reviews, and I also uh, have three different article series I'm working on. One is a chronological take on every single Stephen King adaptation there is. I'm going in chronological order through his bibliography and reading it all. And then anytime there's adaptations, I cover those. And so that has been ongoing for several years. I'm also doing a history of Disney article series where I'm going through chronologically through every single one of Walt Disney Animation Studios films and comparing them two at a time in a sort of matchup style as is uh, the way we do at Flickchart <laughs> and discussing the history of those movies and as well as how they stack up against each other. 
So that's been very fun, for, especially for me who grew up with like a, what we call the Renaissance period of Disney in the 90s, yeah. Yeah. but had never really watched many of the older ones. So this has been a fun journey for me and I think a fun journey for the readers as well. And then I'm also doing a Texas barbecue road trip film article series <laughs> where I, <laughs> last year I actually went to all the top 50 barbecue joints in Texas, all did them all in the one calendar year 2020. Wow. And then I'm reviewing films that are set in each of the little Texas towns where these joints take place. And you would be surprised. I actually have, you know, there's tons of movies set in Texas and actually a pretty good, strong streak of, of actually keeping movies set in the towns where the, the restaurants are. Although sometimes I have to stretch it a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. anyway, it's, that's, that's a fun, fascinating. anyone who likes Texas will probably like that series and uh, yes. highlights food and, and movies. Two of my great passions. So all those you can find on on Flickchart blog where I write at. So Yeah. Cool. And we'll make sure and toss the link for the blog in the show description so that people can find your work. I've been really enjoying the Stephen King one, especially. <laughs> so it's it's a good, it's a good series. All right. Well, Connor, thank you so much for joining us. This was really, really fun. And we got a really unique story out of this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for having me. I very much enjoyed it. Awesome. All right, folks, that is our episode. As a reminder, you can find us every other Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WriteThisPod and Facebook slash SomebodyWriteThis. And special announcement, since October is upon us, we're doing something extra fun. For many artists, October brings a drawing challenge known as Inktober, where they draw 31 original ink drawings based on a list of daily prompts. Please watch our social media for an exclusive Somebody Write This Inktober challenge with all the drawing prompts inspired by our episodes. Somebody draw this. And of course, as always, we'd love to hear your stories, your story ideas, your twist endings for what we've written. So you can catch us on that social media or email us at somebodywritethis at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks, and we'll see you then. And as they say, a pig's tail will never make a good arrow. 